Today's scripture is Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You guys can take a seat. Thanks, Allison. All right. Some spiritual warfare. Let's get it. We're all going to meet outside and march around Centennial seven times. <laughs> no, um, good morning. I'm Sean. Uh, if I don't know you, I'm the lead pastor, teach pastor here for Redemption Peoria. Um, Redemption Church is uh, one church with nine different congregations. You may have questions about how that works, but um, honestly, we'd love to answer those questions afterwards, so I won't go into too much detail right now. Um, I do want to say very quickly, though, um, and this is a moment where it's nothing to do with the text because I'm going to pray for, for, for it in a second. But um, so when I uh, first became a Christian, I noticed that the pastor of the church I started going to would always make these announcements. And it felt like every other announcement was like this plea for volunteers. And I, I remember in the planting process thinking, no, we ain't going to have that issue. We're going to be so close in community. People will be just compelled to constantly volunteer. Well, guess what? I was wrong. Um, no, here's, here's the deal. This is the one-minute uh, ask for children's ministry, which I know everyone loves. So let me just say this very quickly, okay? Um, I get that a lot of you would say, I'm not really kid people, okay? Well, let me speak as a parent for the parents. Most of us aren't really kid people, okay? <laughs> and so, so, so hear this. This is important. Um, there are some of you in your, your season of life, and this is going to sound crazy, but the season of life that you're in right now actually would say, hey, listen, you're not volunteering anywhere. You call this place your home. And I'm speaking specifically to you. Call Redemption Pure your home. Say that they're, they're members of this church. You say, man, I'm here. I'm in it to win it. But you're not doing anything. I, I would put two things in front of you. Number one, I would encourage you to know that even the non-believers recognize that it is good to have a, a regular rhythm of serving somewhere. And what we're putting in front of you is to serve the body. Number two, and this is going to sound a little crazy, but it's actually really difficult for those with kids, speaking as a parent, to serve in children's ministry. So my wife serves in uh, children's ministry, uh, and then I do when I'm not preaching whenever I can. And here's what's hard about this, okay? It's not that we don't want to or can't serve. We're all about serving. The problem is we have a two-year-old. And so what happens is we bring our kids to church, or should bring bring the kids to church, and then the two-year-old has to stay for two whole services. Now, I need you to understand this. Have you ever had a two-year-old stay in one room for five hours? Do you know what happens to someone at that point? So the first service, workers are great. Second service, they're like, why is this child here right now? What, what's going on? What, what's wrong with them, right? And, and, and here's, here's what I want you to know. Um, 
Seasonally, we, as, at least I can speak on behalf of myself uh, and Candace, and I think most parents recognize that there's ebbs and flows to life. And before we were uh, married and before we had kids, we were involved in serving as much as we can. And we want to still continue to be involved serving in children's ministry itself. We recognize there's going to be a day when we're, we're going to be empty nesters and we're going to be all about it, right? But right now it's difficult. And so let me just say this. If you are single, if you're newly married and you do not have kids, okay, you're newly married, like, I don't know, let's say Sierra and Angel or something. I don't know, okay? Um, and, and, and you have room where you can go, listen, every other week we can go to a service, and then we can stay for another service and serve. Or come to a service and serve and go to another service. It's not that big of a deal. It's twice a month. I want to encourage you to do that. Because that's going to be, there's going to be a season of your life where you're not going to be able to do that. I mean, goodness gracious, we have parents. Dan Cox sometimes is up here with a baby carrier breaking down the speakers. You can do this, okay? GCU students, you can get out of bed and you can do this, okay? All right, there it is both guilt, kind of some righteousness thrown in there. If you call this place your home, I try to sprinkle as much as I could, um, but I'll let the Holy Spirit do what only he can do. Um, let me pray. Let me pray. Um, and then we're going to jump into our text. Father, thanks so much for who you are. All joking aside, I'm grateful that I get to do this um, lifelong in community thing um, as a church with these people some of which I consider close friends, um, some I only get to see on Sundays, um, some I recognize are going through terrible times in their life right now, um, some are in great seasons, and wherever we are, I would pray that um, you would show us how we can uh, continue to serve you, not just in children's ministry or set up or tear down, or even the church, but how we can constantly be about what you're about. And so I pray now as we talk about um, a topic that has been discussed um, in all kinds of ways that you would be with us, that you would illuminate the scriptures, that we would see it well. We would recognize spirit without you being in this room, um, having this text come alive. There's, there's nothing we can do. There's nothing I can say in this moment. So be with us. We love you. We praise you in Jesus name. Amen. Um, in 1655, a Puritan named William Gurnell um, wrote a commentary on these 10 verses. We're only going to cover eight of them today. My man Dwayne Hawkins is going to be with us next week. Um, and, and, and in these 10 verses, he's a Puritan, so he's always he's long-winded in general. But in these 10 verses, he wrote, and I'm not lying when I say this, a three-volume, 261-chapter, 1,471-page commentary on these 10 verses, three volumes. Okay. So buckle up. You laugh. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Let's start first with some things that need to be said as we're going to tackle this first the best we can. Again, there, joking aside, there's a lot to cover, um, but here's where we've got to start. Um, there is definitely a movement within Christianity, and it's not new. It's probably 80, 100 years old. Um, and it is a slow trajectory and a, 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 a quick, I think, parsing out year by year. You see more and more denominations and, and, and church cultures grabbing on that tends to remove the spirituality from Christianity. 
So, so what happens is you have um, people who have uh, kind of rationalistic thinking, maybe what we'll call it, uh, who, who would consider themselves um, realists, who would say the miracles of the Bible are, can be scientifically explained. Um, they look at even certain texts and go, well, that just doesn't make sense. And they would discount it altogether or say it's written wrong to the point where there's been this eroding of, of recognizing as believers, we say there's a spiritual world and we go, that's a little weird. To the point of, there's this woman um, named Greta Vosper, and she is a pastor for the United Church in Canada. She's been a pastor there since 1997, and um, in being a pastor there for over 20 years, she considers herself an atheist. And I'm not, I know everything I just said, like you're going, wait, what? She is a pastor at a church who considers herself an atheist, and this is what she would say. She would say, I do not believe in a theistic, this is a pastor, This is a pastor. I do not believe in a theistic supernatural being called God. I don't believe in what uh, most think. I would say 99.9% of the world thinks you mean when you use that word. God is instead a metaphor for goodness and a life lived with compassion and justice. So at the risk of sounding like a dare counselor, um, when we begin to open up this door to read the Bible and take what we want from it, We're going to get ourselves in trouble real quick to the point of removing a spiritual God altogether. So if you were to visit um, Thomas Jefferson's house in Monticello, you would see a Bible that's all torn up. This is a famous known story. And the reason it's torn up, him as an open theist, um, amongst many other things, is he saw the Bible as maybe a better set to see as as, as a rule of law, things to do, commands, or, or ways to push us. But miracles were cut out, right? Any deity forms, any theological statements that push us towards the spirituality of who God is was completely removed. And hear me, that is... The tendency, that's going to be a knee-jerk reaction when you are a naturalist. When you can't prove it, when you can't see it, that's where we're going to flow. And so hear me, let me just declare to you, the text that we're going to run into, Greta Vosper would have to cut out of her Bible or chalk it up as metaphor. So, So let me state where we stand on this. There is a very, very real, dare I say more real, spiritual realm. There is a very real devil who is not just um, the dark side and the force. He has a personality. He is somewhere right now. He has a presence. He is a being. And he has, we'll call them minions, demonic forces, spirits, evil spirits, who look to entrap, entangle, kill, steal, and destroy would be the language of Jesus You and I as believers and anyone who bears the image of God. This is not folklore. It is not make-believe. It is not pretend. We truly believe this. So when we read the verse again, Finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. We believe that that schemes, it's methodios is the Greek word. It literally is where we get our word method from. That this devil does not just exist, again, as some kind of abstract being, but hear me, has a plan, has a method. Do you hear that? Schemes. Like he watches the way you raise your kids, and he goes, I saw that a thousand years ago. I know what happens when parents treat their kids like this. This is how I can tempt this child. 
Do you understand? It's a plan. It's a method. He is intentionally trying to knock you off the track. Do you understand? This is an intentional scheme, an intentional plan by a very real being. None of it is fake. None of it is metaphor. We believe in absolutes. He is real. And it goes on to say, and we're going to parse this whole verses 10 through 12 a little bit differently. To double down on this, hear this, against the schemes of the devil. Listen to the language here. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. So as he roams around like a lion, 1 Peter 5, 8, he, he's putting in front of us, this isn't just something that you can see. So we believe in this devil. We believe he's real. We believe he's trying to attack us. We believe he's trying to tempt us. All the while, we can't see him. Now, what makes this passage difficult as we address it is the reality is so many of us in this room and absolutely in culture can't help but take our eyes off the here and now. We can't help but take our eyes off in a consumeristic mentality what we can see, what we can touch, what we can have. And listen, we're playing checkers, y'all. He's playing chess. And, And he's strategic about it. And we're fumbling around thinking that it's here and now. And we're not realizing we're in a stupor. And so hear me when I say this. He's very real. He has schemes and methods. And you can't see him. You won't be able to recognize it unless you are discerning unless you are prayerful, unless the Holy Spirit does something. And then furthermore, to even triple down, not just that he is not flesh and blood, but, or not only that we're not wrestling against just flesh and blood, but he is, at the end of this part, he is in the heavenly places. So just to be clear, and I know I'm overstating this, but I want to make sure we're on the same page. It's not that he's just not here and we can't see them, these these demonic forces. It's, It's not just that. But it's not that he just exists in a nebulous, which I've said a couple times already. But we believe that the physical realm, as real as the physical realm is, there is a spiritual realm. So hear me. This is, and listen, I'll catch you early, right? If you're questioning this whole Christian thing, let me just catch you early. We believe even now angelic spirits and maybe demonic spirits are in this room even now. That as you worship God, the, the, the spirit of God, who's a real person, heard your voices, the good, the bad, the, 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 the heart, the mind, heard it. That spiritual realm is real. And as we come to this text, there's just no denying it. So, of course, as we read in the heavenly places, the big questions uh, that have to come to to mind is, um, well, then how do we fight this enemy that Ephesians 6 is putting in front of us? Like, how do we combat? I mean, if we can't see him, how how do we go about doing this? And how does he even attack us? And and what I love about this is the text addresses this. Because here's the reality. Um, when I say these demonic forces are spiritual, there are moments when that, those spirits will manifest themselves. So we do not chalk up the gospel in the gospels where Jesus is interacting with demonic forces as some hyperbole. We believe there are literal demonic forces inside a being who literally say we are legion. 
Now, those moments are true, and I don't even doubt the over hundreds, and that's not over-exaggeration, hundreds of stories of some of you, friends and family, people uh, in, 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 uh, before we ever church planted that, that we still kind of stay in contact with, people who've had stories where they either woke up in the middle of the night and there was this force over them, they saw something, they had a vision, they would say a demonic force like presented itself and I didn't know what to do. I do not doubt any of that. I don't doubt any of that. But I don't think that's what this text is talking about. Okay? I think that's very real. I don't doubt demonic possession, but I don't think that's specifically what this text is talking about. And so the question has to be then, what is it talking about? Now, to understand this, we have to um, talk about the other side of the pendulum. Because as much as Pastor... um, Greta wants to dismiss the spirituality. There's a whole other movement that wants to make everything only spiritual. So, so this is um, where, again, you guys know I come from the charismatic uh, background, right? And so this is where, like, everything that takes place was automatically like a demonic spiritual attack, right? It's like, sh- the baby spit up again, there's a demon here, and like, just like, no, 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 not, not the case, Okay. And so we, we would even spend times, uh, Tuesday afternoons specifically, casting out demons from Christians, honestly. Um, and, and so there, there is a, a pendulum that can swing that everything is spiritual. And it's almost like the physical is a means to an end. And I, I want to put in front of you a theology we've tried to present that these worlds are far more um, together than we rationally understand or even have been taught even within the church. And the, the word I've used before is it's, it's uh, Plato. It's Platonic thought that we've separated these spiritual and physical worlds, but they're far more together. And so again, I'm going to read the text just so we're on the same page. Understanding this. Finally, be strong. Uh, let, let's just skip down. We've read that a couple times. Let's go down to... Um, what are we at? Let's go to verse 12, at the end of 12, pick it up in 13. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil. So um, I'm going to read that again, but do you hear? Now here's the wrestle. Um, and so we have one crowd who goes, well, that just doesn't exist. And the other crowd who over-spiritualizes things, um, like I've been talking about, maybe a great example of this is, is in the spiritual world, you, you would call it like schizophrenia, bipolarism, even things like depression and anxiety, all spiritual. And here's what I want to, this is important. We are whole beings. We're whole beings. And so, yes, bipolarism, schizophrenia, depression, and anxiety is spiritual. Yes and amen to that. But it's more than just spiritual, it's mental, it's physical, it's emotional. We are whole beings. And what we remove if we think like this is things like in Genesis 3, that the curse, the way that sin entered the world, in in this crazy, crazy way, it entered in very practical ways. I mean, childbirth. Now, Now we're saying childbirth has like this demonic oppression over it. Like there's going to be pain and suffering because sin is in the world. Working? I mean, everyone in this room has been a product of childbirth. And half of you guys, or at least almost half of you guys, have been the givers of childbirth, which we're thankful for. But, but that everyone, I mean, we participate in one way, this, this everyday thing. And here's what's important. This is part of sin. There, there's a battle going on even in that. And so no matter where we sin, when we read this language, these rulers and authorities, how do we process it? And this goes back to a few months ago when we talked about rulers and authorities. And maybe you weren't here, so let me catch you up. Um, 
At the core of understanding that these two worlds collide, the statement is really important. Listen to it. Against the cosmic powers over this present age. So this is where I recap us. The last three weeks, we've been talking about work and, and this divine order and work. We've been talking about parenting, this divine ordering parenting. We've been talking about uh, marriage, this divine order and marriage. But man, even before that, how the church should work together, racial reconciliation. I mean, we, we've looked at a gamut of things, understanding even our own individual salvation and reconciliation through Jesus Christ. And in all of this, here's what I need you to do. God has provided a way that things are supposed to be, human flourishing. But hear me, let's rewind to what we talked about a few months ago. There are demonic forces, cosmic powers over this present age right now who have false gospels, false narratives. You ready? False ways of doing things. And I think this is what the text is talking about. So for the last 10 months, we've been trying to put in our mind, here's the way God sees things to go. Here's what you need to understand. There is a demon, a demonic force, a power right now who sees the way that you see marriage and says, I have a different way of doing marriage. And so you hear this all the time. It's in sex, it's in marriage, it's taking greed and throwing it into business, it's in parenting, it's, it's all across the board. There are alternate false ways of doing things. And you want to know who's over those false ways. They don't just exist. They're not just products of the fall, though that is true. No, no, no. They have schematic methods, plans. There are beings who look at a situation and go, ah, what if we contort this? And there is a force and a power over that false gospel. So this is what's crazy to me. Um, I think if you're a believer, and that's not true for everyone, but I think for the most part, um, most of you would consider yourself pro-life, or you would say you're against abortion. And what's crazy about that is you would look at it and you go, abortion is a demonic act. And, and I would agree with you, but I would take a step back and I would go, but what's even more demonic is the fact that our culture so readily accepts it. Like even believes it's true to the point of like, I, even just talking with, with friends about it, I, I feel like I'm stuck. Like, like there's a force that I can't, I feel like I'm taking crazy pills as I try to navigate it because I'm like, I don't understand here. And I have to be pitted up against, well, you're against women's rights. And I go, no, man, I want women to have rights. I want them to have the freedom to do what they want with their body. But at the same time, I, I don't want it to be okay for them to, to murder a baby. And so I'm forced to, to, to pick. We, we it's one of the few debates where we have pro at the beginning of it. Pro-life or pro-choice. We'll go, can I be both? Can, can I, like you feel stuck almost. Like I don't want to suppress, like say, no, this, the government needs to decide what you do with your body. But at the same time, I'm going, but it's not okay to kill a baby. And so I feel like in, in those moments, hear me, all I can do is pray. Like, God, you've got to give me wisdom. I'm trying to explain it. And this sounds crazy, but there's like a barrier there's like something that this culture, it's like they can't see it. And it's, you could talk to your blue in the faith, use every good argument, but for some reason, and they, it's not that they're even, they truly believe they're doing the good. And you go, man, this is distorted. There is a force, a demonic force, a power over that. Over this age, all false, false gospels, it's all real. 
And so when we read the language of we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against, against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present age, against the spiritual forces of evil, we believe at our core, yes and amen, these things are real. You know what's crazy about this is um, there's a part in the Gospels where, where Jesus says, I saw Satan be cast out of heaven like lightning. And if you go to reference that, um, uh, go back to see what he's referencing, he's referencing in Isaiah. But in the book of Isaiah, when Isaiah makes this declaration, as God's making this declaration, he's talking about the king of Babylon. And so you look at Jesus and you go, well, wait a minute, Jesus, are you talking about the king of Babylon or are you talking about Lucifer here? Well, I, I don't understand. And, you, you, read it and you, you begin to understand that you have a divided mind. You think of spiritual and physical, but that's not how Jesus is thinking. He's thinking in terms of, no, 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 even rulers and authorities in this present age can be used in sinful, dark, sinister ways. And so it's both. What the king of Babylon was doing was demonic, was evil. And so Jesus comes on the scene, and he doesn't just cast devils out of people. He fights the rulers and the authorities. Do you understand? His kingdom is pushing against whatever abortion agenda or or false gospel when it comes to marriage, false gospel when it comes to sex, false gospel when it comes to business, false gospel and idolatry within nationalism. His kingdom is saying, no, no. I've come to be that, not just save your souls. That demonic force, that ruler, that authority, that power that is over this present age does not belong to my people. You understand? This is the type of battle we're going to, and this is why we need discernment. This is why the analogy is used by Paul to put on armor, to recognize and see well that's not right. And hear me, this is why racial reconciliation matters. You understand it's not black lives matters or blue lives matters. It's not, we don't push this agenda so we can get people to leave the church. Apparently that's a big thing. That's not why we do that. Okay. Hear me. We do it at our core because we believe his kingdom is part of that conversation. That, that there's a force that's, that's dividing us. And we go, that's not kingdom theology. And so we have to be wise and recognize that's not okay. Wise and recognize that's not okay. What? No, that's not the kingdom. This is how we need to operate. I know you're saying that's, that type of sex will bring me happiness and it will bring me freedom. But I'm telling you, God's word says this. That's not okay. I know you say, oh, well, it's not that big of a deal. You're going to get married anyway. No, 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 no. Hear me. There's, there's a demonic force in that moment telling you a false gospel and it's not okay. There are rulers and authorities over this present age and his kingdom pushes against it. Please believe that. Please believe that. And so then he makes the declaration because all of that is true, because everything that we just put in front of you is true. These demonic forces absolutely exist. And 13, therefore, because these things are true, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to uh, withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm, stand therefore. It's the word stand a lot, which is important. Um, Here's why this is important. Um, in light of everything that we just talked about, go back to the beginning of verse 10, and you're going to see this word, finally be strong. We've talked about imperatives a lot because commands, which is an imperative, only appears in the back half of Ephesians. And when you read the word be strong, it's kind of a goofy uh, translation because you read be strong, and it's almost like it puts a power, you need to be powerful. But here's the, the difference. It's a command, but it's a middle passive command. Meaning this, it's different, like if I go to you, hey, go study, right? Go study, go, go study, go study. 
or learn, right? Study is something you, I'm putting it actively on you. And for you to go learn, there, there's, there, you're putting that passive way. And hear me, when we read um, be strong, I would argue it's better translated be empowered. Now, the reason I share this is because when we get to the word stand now in verse 13, it's not passive, it's active. So check this out. This is what's crazy. In light of all of these rulers and authorities being true, buckle up. Like, it's, it, I feel like I just want to, let's do this. Let's go, right? There's a part, I mean, listen to this. Listen to the language. I, I, I love it. Um, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore. So I remember when I was about seven years old, um, me and my cousin, he was about five. We went over to this park by, this, uh, by a house that we were staying at, um, this busted old house. And, and um, I didn't want to be there. We didn't have electricity or water or anything like that. And it's like, it was this vacant house. And so I go over there at this park and this 13 year old, big old Mexican dude, uh, kid comes up to me and he just starts beating the crap out of me for no reason. No reason. I'm just like playing. I don't even remember what I'm playing. And he just starts wailing on me. Right. So me and my cousin, we peace out. He got what he needed to do in. So I go back and we're real close to this park. And so I tell my dad, right. And I see him, that, that kid, that 13-year-old kid at the park again later that day. And so I tell my dad, he's there. He's at the park right now. So my dad starts walking over, and, he, and, and this kid is with all of his boys, and my dad's just talking to him. And I'm in the back like, what's up, what's up, what's up, what's up, what's up, right? Okay? Now, now hear me. Because my dad was present, I had it in me. I was like, let's go. I'll get at least one in, and my dad will wipe all y'all. Because he was present, there was this energy about me. There was something there that I could, again, like, I would be able to stand. One of my favorite gifs or gifs, I never know what to call it, is the Lord of Rings ones where, like, and it's my favorite part in all the movies where uh, Theoden, he, Theoden, he's looking at all of the armies, and he just looks, and it's raining, and he goes, so it begins right? That's what I think of with this text. I think like, all right, let's go. Let's go. Like there's something in this moment that is actively stand, be ready, be prepared because these demonic forces are going to try to, uh, you know, knock you off the tracks, going to try to trick you, try to put these in front of you, stand. And then we get to the famous uh, language of the armor of God. So here's what I want to do with the armor of God. Um, I got about 10 or 15 minutes with us and I want to make sure I do this well. Um, there's four things I want to share. I'm going to just read them because I think it's going to be helpful because I'm going to do something maybe a little bit different than the way that you understand, uh, the armor of God. The first thing is this, the expression, the whole armor of God, just so you know, in Greek is one word. So it's not meant to just be like parsed out and, and separated, but there's a whole armor that's helping you stand. In this moment, to stand against the schemes of the enemy, you need to take on this whole armor, okay? Number two, and I think this is important, um, this analogy, I would argue, contextually probably came up because Paul is constantly handcuffed to a Roman guard. Now, um, a guard isn't going to wear the same thing as an infantry uh, a guy, but, but I think the imagery, he can have plenty to work with for him to be able to see. He saw this armor uh, quite often. The third thing is um, the goal in standing, 
um, is, is not meant to, I, I want to try to, I've been trying to think of how I want to articulate this. It's not meant to like be seen as like Ghostbusters stand. It's not like a, all right, demonic forces and capture them, right? That's not, um, like there's an African proverb I just heard from um, a guy named Josh who was saying there's, there's a, a man who's trying to sweep a mouse out of his house and he's trying to sweep it out, sweep it out, sweep it out. And eventually he gets it out, but that mouse has buddies and he tells um, all the other mice where the food is. And so uh, he comes back with like 10 mice buddies and now he's, because they, they know where all the food is, he's trying to sweep 10 of them out. And, and his point in the African proverb goes, so instead of trying to sweep mice out, trying to keep things out, just bring a cat in. And, and the point of the proverb is to, to put in front of us, we can tend to think that this is all defensive armor. We hear that a lot. It's all defensive so that we can keep these things at bay. But rather, we need to not see them as things to keep things away as much as what we need to put inside of us. Like truth and righteousness and faith need to be deeply suited in our souls so we can stand firm. And then here's the last thing. It's my actually approach to the armor of God. Um, and you may not like this, but, and if you're new to Christianity, you're not familiar with this, but there are thousands, and I mean thousands of sermons on this text. Not just in length, but I mean completely different ways to understand this text. I've seen people preach this in full hockey gear. I've seen them come out in actual armor. And, and so there's an imagery. So, so hear me, I'm not going to focus on the armor itself. I think it's an analogy and it's a means to get us somewhere else. Because usually what happens is everyone walks out of here knowing everything about first century armor, but knows nothing about truth, right? So you could tell me that the, the, like, the, the, your, the gospel of peace, it goes where, and this is what the, it looked like, and here's what it is, and the, the belt of truth, it connects the breastplate, and without it, you look goofy because your pants fall down. And, and it's just like, I, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. Not because I think it's, it's crazy, but, but hear me. There's a lot of people of just that, and, and when I read this text, that's not where I felt like it was going. I don't think Paul was focused on the armor. I think he's focused on us trying to unpack what the armor's getting at. So I'm going to do far more to unpack what the armor's getting at. So let's, let's read it to the best of our ability, um, and I'll stop and mention something about armor if it's necessary um, for the analogy, but let's, let's do this. First, starting as we're standing... Having fastened on the belt of truth. So the first thing that he starts with is the belt of truth. Now here's why truth is necessary for you to combat the schemes of the devil. To know. So one of, um, probably the most common words in all of the New Testament is the word aletheia, truth. And John, specifically, the writer John uses this word more than any other writer. He uses it a lot in 1 John, but he uses it in his gospel as well. And one of the more famous verses is in John 8, when he says that uh, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free, right? Well, what's interesting about being set free by the truth is later on in John's gospel, we run into chapter 4, verse 6, where Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth. So who's setting us free? Well, Jesus is setting us free. Well, then you go immediately into chapter 16 where Jesus begins to declare, but I'm leaving and I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. And you ready for this? Who will guide you into all truth. So just the track, the truth will set us free. That's only found in Jesus. And the Holy Spirit will lead us to Jesus. Well, then in chapter 17, the next chapter, we're told that uh, uh, Jesus is praying for all of his, his disciples. And he says, uh, um, wash them in your word for your word is truth. Sanctify them. Sanctify them in this truth because your word is truth. So here's my point. The truth is going to set us free and it's only found in Jesus. 
But the Holy Spirit is going to lead us to Jesus, and this is important, through the word of God. Like, how can we know, how, how can we combat the schemes of the devil? How can we know when there's a false gospel? Well, we know our word. And I, I, I've read in Mark, I know that's not true. I remember Jesus' word on the Sermon on the Mount, that's not true. And so we're able to combat the schemes and the methods of the devil through truth. He uses the first analogy of the belt of truth. Secondly, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. This isn't going to be new if you've been coming the last couple of weeks. The word righteousness, best translated or at least best understood for us is rightness. That's what Ephesians has been doing. Has been laying out what is rightness. And here he uses to cover your whole torso this idea of rightness. That if you want to combat the schemes and the methods of the devil, then know what righteousness is. In Isaiah 40, we're told that the Lord looks upon those who walk righteously and speak uprightly. Matter of fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we're told that we are the righteousness of God. And that's why in 2 Timothy 2.22, we're to pursue righteousness and flee from youthful passions. That as being the righteousness of God because of what Jesus Christ has done, the world looks at us and sees a right gospel. And that in turn is combating false gospels. It's the breastplate of righteousness. Verse 15. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. I mean, I think there's obviously a play when it comes to the armor, the fact that, um, that the gospel is on his feet and that you take the gospel places. I think that's important, but I, I think there's something that's a little turned in this, that he uses the language, the gospel of peace. So, so I, this is huge. How can we combat the methods and the schemes of the devil? All false gospels will inevitably show themselves. They can only suppress the chaos for so long. And, and maybe it's five years, maybe it's 80 years. Maybe it's not even in our lifetime. But the rulers and cosmic powers that tell this culture to do one thing will eventually be exposed. And it's going to happen because there is this chaos all the while sitting faithful, having the gospel of peace are the Christians. That we combat the false ways, the false narratives, the false philosophies with the gospel of peace. I feel like I can go, some of my Anabaptist brothers would be angry that I'm not going further in that. But hear me, there's so much to be talked about of us being peacemakers and what it means to combat the enemy. I mean, just even the fact that Proverbs would say a soft answer turns away wrath. That there is an anxiety, an anxiousness about this culture that you being and having the gospel of peace, um, citizens of the kingdom of God that has true peace, that fights the schemes of the devil. You can stand in that moment. Let's keep going. Uh, shoes fitted for the, the gospel of peace. Uh, verse 16, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. As soon as I read this and I thought, how can we articulate this? This is what I thought of. I thought of in, um, in Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, uh, there's a famous verse that says, um, talking about martyrs, they overcome the, overcame the enemy, the devil, by the, the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. And I think there's even a song about it. I don't remember who wrote it. Somebody. It's on Caleb somewhere. And so here's, here's, here's what we know. This is crazy. Think about this. Here's martyrs. These martyrs, they overcome the devil, two prongs. They overcome him by the, the blood of the lamb, the work of Jesus Christ, 
and the word, this is crazy, the word of their testimony. So the blood of the lamb and what these people believe to be true about Jesus Christ. They didn't love their life till the end. Meaning if you care, if you are all in with Jesus Christ to stand against these schemes, these philosophies, to, to continue to, to fight past what you can't see, you hold on to something that pleases God desperately in, in Hebrews chapter 11, and that's faith. That what defeats the enemy, the devil, is faith. You believe this to be true. You know it to be true. And we overcome the, lamb, overcome the enemy by the blood of the lamb and faith in what the blood of the lamb has done. Man, may that be true. Stand in that. You have faith. And man, it's going to feel like it's, it's tossing back and forth. Stand firm with it. He then goes on. So in all circumstances, the shield of faith, which I love the fact he uses the language, we can extinguish the flaming darts or the arrows of the evil one. And then he tells us to take on the helmet of salvation. I know I just made fun of a bunch of people who stuck on uh, the analogy, but I think this part of the analogy is very important. Um, Here's why. I, I think salvation is the crux, right, of everything that we're talking about. And I don't think it's an accident that Paul would choose a helmet in that moment, which protects the brain. Because when the brain goes, it doesn't matter if you have a heart that's working. It doesn't matter if you have a torso that's intact. It doesn't matter if you have feet. It doesn't matter. If your brain's not working, nothing's working. And so at the core, we've seen in Ephesians twice, in chapter 1 and in chapter 4, that the Holy Spirit has sealed us for the day of redemption. That there is a security about where we are, how we exist, and who we serve. We have salvation. And that salvation roots us through anxiety. It anchors us through depression. That I know this is true. I I believe this is true. I'm all in. And hear me. It should create a posture of joy. When you know you are saved, when you know you are secure, even in something like marriage, it provides a freedom. In friendship, it provides a freedom. When you know, man, I could do anything and this person isn't leaving me. They're all in. Just like I'm all in, you can be more of yourself. And we combat the devil when we go, listen, I'm going to mess up. Man, hear me. You're going to do business the wrong way this week. You're going to give in to temptation of greed. You're going to look at pornography. You're going to treat your children, your spouse, terrible. That's going to happen. You're going to fail. Do you understand? You're going to fail. But you being saved is not based on you. Do you understand? It's based on what Jesus did and Jesus succeeded. And because he succeeded... You're secure. You're saved. Finally, the last one. And the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Um, I know this is always used as an offensive weapon. Unfortunately, it's been too often too used offensively against our own brothers and sisters in the faith. But um, I just want to sure up that I, I think this... Um, is what ties everything together. You can almost argue that something called an inclusio, the beginning and the end of this armor of God, talks about truth and the word of God. And, and what we can know to be true if we're going to stand firm against the schemes of the devil is that we recognize that though the grass withers, the flowers fade, the word of God lasts forever, Isaiah 40. 
That we recognize that in, in Second uh, Timothy chapter 3, it's what makes us wise into salvation. It reproves us, it rebukes us, it encourages us, it trains us in righteousness. That's what the word of God is going to do. We see in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 that it's dicing us up. Soul and spirit, bone and marrow. It's a discerner of our innermost thoughts, even at our core. The way you process, here's how you can combat a false gospel. The word of God. Here's how you can know the word of God. That's what this thing is doing over and over and over it. And all too often, we just treat it haphazardly. We don't open it. We don't sit on it. We don't meditate on it. But this is going to be the thing that helps us stand against the schemes of the devil. And I would say, tying all this up, and Dwayne's going to uh, cover some of this too, so I don't want to go in too much length, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. Part of being mindful and discerning is constantly putting in, our, uh, in front of us this conversation with God. Over and over and over again, this conversation with God. So um, I, I have uh, uh, one minute, and here's what I want to do. Um, I believe... Jesus obviously capitulates all these things really, really well. Um, even the last one being prayer, um, more than anyone else, right? In the moment of going to the cross in Gethsemane, he is praying. He's spending time with God in the midst of that chaos. Um, I would also like to give you three things that you can actually tangibly be mindful of in the methods and the schemes of the devil. This has been, from my perspective, praying this week, praying for everyone here, praying for a church that we would be mindful of these three things. Here's how the devil is going to combat uh, the, the, the false philosophies. The first thing is he's going to have you question his version of flourishing. Meaning, Satan wants you to question God's word and therefore question his version of flourishing. This is what happens with Adam. This is what happens with Jesus as Jesus combats Satan, right? This is, but did God really say, is this really the right way? And so you're going to look and you go, am I on the wrong side of history? Man, am I seeing this wrong? Am I a big, I, I'm trying to follow Jesus. I'm trying to do this out of love. I don't know what to do. The culture's calling me this. He's going to have you question God's version of flourishing. The second thing is um, that he's going to make God's version, more difficult for you. I've seen people come to faith and go through more trials than most believers who've been there for like 80 years combined. Like somebody's like, they just have a pretty decent life. They come to Jesus and then all hell breaks loose. And you're going, what happened? Right? And that's because uh, uh, the devil wants to choke out that seed. He wants that, 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 that thing that shoots up to, to go away or a bird to snatch it up. And so what we see is there's going to be, and we use the language of persecution, but just more than that, following Jesus will be more difficult. And the last one may sound contrary to the second one, but I think the opposite is true as well. What Satan will do in his schemes and his methods is he will combine his way with God's way. And he will try to talk you into compromising. And, and hear me, this is called the wide road, and many find it. Be careful. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for who you are. Thanks for your goodness and your grace towards us. We recognize a passage like this um, can only be explained it's not like we can see it, um, but we can see the implications of these cosmic powers and rulers. And so I pray that um, you'd give us discerning eyes and discerning hearts to see systemic brokenness, to see brokenness in our own family, in our own hearts, that we'd know that these cosmic powers and authorities are working against us and we need to take up the whole armor of God. And so I pray a blessing over us as a church that we would be willing to stand. We would be willing to stand 
We would stand against compromise. We would stand firm amidst trials. And we would stand firm on your word, knowing that your version of human flourishing will prove to be true. We love you. We thank you. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.